Hey, everybody. Welcome to Connected. I'm Kyle Van Pelt, co-founder and CEO of MileMarker. My co-host is Judd Mackerel, co-founder of MileMarker as well. Connected is a show about the people and technologies that are shaping and building the wealth management industry. More people than ever are searching for great financial advice, and more firms than ever are trying to figure out how to scale their operations to serve those who are searching for their advice. We believe that better connected technology provides the space for better connected people, which leads to better advice. Welcome to Connected. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Connected. I'm your host, Kyle Van Pelt, CEO of MileMarker. And today I have the pleasure of being joined by my friend, Matt Reiner. Matt's a partner at Capital Investment Advisors, which is a multi-billion dollar RIA here in Atlanta. He's also the CEO of Wella, uh, which is a, an investment management firm that, that is run out of that as well. We'll talk about that. And in addition to that, he's a man of many talents. He's also the founder and host of the Bridging the Gap podcast. And he wrote a book series called Dr. Cole Cash Will See You Now, um, where he helps advisors see their true worth. He's a prolific thought leader in the practice management for advisor space, and he's passionate about helping advisors become better business owners. In addition to all the work stuff, uh, he's a fan of the Braves, which I won't hold against him too much. Uh, he loves the Georgia Bulldogs. He's a fan of golf, and he's a great, great family man to his wife, his son, and his daughter. Matt, did I miss anything in that intro? <laughs> I think you nailed it. I think the only thing you missed was us clinching the East in your Philadelphia's hometown. So uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think that's there's the a reason thing, why but, there's yeah. a reason why we missed that. But thanks for making sure to point that thing out. Uh, no, I appreciate that intro. That's too kind of you. Uh, yeah, maybe you need my wife on here to also talk about the family man side of it. But uh, I'll take that one for a win right there. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I want to just start out with you get you juggle a lot of things, right? So you've got the the partnership in the RIA, you've got Wella, which I think it would be good for people to know what that's at. You run the podcast, you write books. I mean, you, you're doing all kinds of different stuff. How do you juggle it all? Yeah, you know, it's uh, everybody has that. It, it's kind of just like the natural, the norm for me. I, I don't, I find myself really committed to structure and routine and regimen. And, you know, I've got a really supportive wife and family. I mean, they're incredible. They allow me to kind of go through this. But I, I it's a really a matter of focusing on what you love and, and really prioritizing what matters. And so I try to stick to my core values of me as a person. And juggling it is is it kind of, I have a ton of people behind me. Uh, I have a great team uh, on the well side. I have a great leadership team on the CI side. I've got, you know, for my content generation, I've got a great team with me there. And it's a matter of knowing that I don't have to do it all myself. And I think that's something that I learned really early on uh, and I was terrible at early on, but uh, I learned the hard way and I've gotten better at it. And so it's not, it doesn't make it easy. And it's also a matter of how do you do it really good? And so it, it, it comes with time and, um, but it's a matter of getting the right people around you. It's a matter of prioritizing what's important to you and not, not wavering on that um, at, at any point. Yeah. Well, actually let's dig in a little bit. Cause I think a lot of the people that listen to this podcast may may feel like, hey, I'm struggling to, you know, I'm trying to do all this myself. I know I shouldn't, right? Everybody tells me, hey, you got to delegate, you got to get better at this, whatever. As somebody who experienced that, like what were the practical steps that you took to get better at kind of delegating, not trying to do it all yourself um, and growing there? Yeah, I think it there, there's, there's a few areas of that. I, I think that one of those areas really comes from, it, it's a matter of, 
failing. I, I failed a good bit. And I've I've failed at quality in, in terms of trying to do it all myself. And I've also, you know, when you grow up in the industry and you grow as a human, you start to realize that you don't have to do it all yourself and you feel confident in who you are and what you're doing. And you know that that confidence stems from not being just the contributor, but also just being a participator of delivering value. We all believe that we have to be we have to be the contributor, which gets us in this mentality of either it's our way or it's no way. And it's a win lose situation as opposed to a us situation. And it's something that I'm still working on. It's not it's never like you've you've reached it. It's just that it's a, you make progress in it. And, you know, when it comes to delegation, you have to be okay and accepting that things aren't going to be done your way. And I have always been a perfectionist and in my way is always the best way. But I've realized that my way is not always the right way. And I've failed a lot with my way, which means that I'm not always right. And I've got to let go of that perfectionism. And, and it came from a lot of introspection as opposed to extrospection, that that it's it's on me. I've got to become better as a person from a mindful standpoint, from a mind standpoint. Like, how do I become more mindful and present and understand of who I am and self-aware of that? And then it comes from a technique standpoint. How do I then put in practices in terms of organization and structure in my day to be better? And then how do I go and take the action and then learn from it. And so it, it's been an investment in self, which I still am doing every single day. It's been an investment in skill by learning, which is one of my core values of learning from conversations like this and books and, and podcasts and everything of that nature. And then execution and, and, and knowing that not everything's going to go right. It, when it comes to delegation, which is the hardest thing, I've talked to other advisors about it from a consulting standpoint. And when I was on the technology side, delegation is the hardest thing because we feel that we always have the right answer, which is something I was talking about. So in order to be really good at delegating, you have to be have a mind of set of failures, okay, and, and, and empowering. And, and the way that I've got through that from a tactical standpoint is I used to uh, not delegate. I used to abdicate. I used to say, go and figure this out. And then they wouldn't figure it out the right way. But I never gave them barriers or understanding. Delegation is the idea of saying, I'm going to give them barriers and expectations. And then how they do it and execute on it is up to them. But what they deliver needs to be defined by me. And, and, and that's really important for delegation because when you don't define that and take the time to do that, you're advocating as opposed to delegating. And advocating doesn't work out because their interpretation of what you're viewing is not going to be the same as what your interpretation of what you're thinking. And so you have, you have to really set the boundaries, set a timetable and set a, set a deliverable of what you're expecting uh, and then let them go and give them the freedom and the power of how they do it. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think one of the things I've heard a handful of people talk about when it comes to delegation and, and making sure it doesn't drift into abdication is also the cadence upon which you follow up. Because I think a lot of times leaders are so busy, they got so many things going on, they go put something on another person's plate, maybe even try to define what they want the outcome to look like, but then they just don't, you know, they don't follow up or, you know, it's like, hey, just kind of tell me when you're done sort of thing. So what are your thoughts on that? How do you make sure that you're you're on a good cadence to where things are happening at the the pace you want them to. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll raise my hand as being one of those that failed at that a lot. I would send it off and forget about it. And then I would never follow up with it, which also you know, is a bad thing for, for creating the, the necessary relationships that are, are needed to have a good kind of cohesive delegation community. What I mean by that is like people trusting that you're delegating them and that you, you value their perspective and value their work, right? If you just delegate something and never follow up on it, 
know, that person's gonna forget about it. And then they're gonna be like, well, why? I'm never, when you go delegate them something else, they're gonna be like, he's just gonna forget about it and I'm not gonna do it. And so it's really important to have that follow-up mechanism. And, you know, the beauty is, is that technology has advanced drastically to help us with it, whether you use Teams or Slack or email, you can basically schedule out checkpoints and and you should have scheduled checkpoints, whether it's every, you know, if depending on the frequency or the, the length of the project, you know, is it every day, every couple of days, every week, if it's a longer term project, just saying, hey, touch base, what have you accomplished? What do you need my help in? What are your blockers and what can I do? And, and just sending something short and brief and quick uh, allows for you to kind of overcome some of those hurdles and understand where they may be going, veering off track earlier so you don't get to the end of the project and the time crunch and frustration ensues, you're able to kind of steer them back on track. So, hey, what have you been doing? What are some of the questions you have? And then what are the blockers that I can help with and let them go? And if they don't say anything and then you get to the end and there's it's not what you delivered, at least you have now kind of a progression that can be used as a training tool for that individual. It's not that they did bad. It's that here's how we can get better. You know, I asked you this. Why didn't you bring this up to me at this point? This would be better. And now you're building this kind of really good delegation. Delegation, people think that delegation gain, helps you gain time. It's actually, a, it, there's a huge investment that has to go into it where it may take you more time to do certain things when you delegate at the forefront, but that work and that effort allows for a huge exponential gain of time in the future if you do it the right way. Elaborate on that a little bit. I think that's insightful and I don't want to lose that thread. So I, I would agree. I think most of the time when I hear the phrase delegation, it's it's like this should save me time. But I think what I hear you saying is, well, it might not save you time minute for minute, but you might be able to get more stuff done rather than if you just do it yourself. But you have to be able to learn how to, to set the frameworks and build the guardrails around how delegation works so that you can get that sort of leverage, right? But but expound on that a little bit. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. Well, it, it, it allows for you to work on many more things. It allows for you to work on the things that are more maybe impactful or more strategic in your business, right? And put your mind share to it. But what I mean by that delegation takes a lot of time is that there is a framework around delegation, right? A structure of how you're going to run your day or how you build a process. And I always tell people that before you can delegate you probably have to do it yourself in order to build out what the process is that you want. Because if you don't, then it really just becomes abdication. It's like, go figure out this process. But if you don't like the process, then you've wasted all this time. And so there's a lot of kind of upfront commitment of time that you have to do of saying, of really distilling down into the bits and pieces, not just to how you do it, but how would someone that's never done or sat where you have sat do it? And that takes a lot of time to break down processes and break down structure. And you have to be really thoughtful of that with making no assumptions, not falling into the curse of knowledge that we all have when we're doing something for so long. And, and that takes time. And building that infrastructure to go then delegate something will take time. But the beauty of what that does is that you're delegating the tactical element of it, which allows you then to go and spend those like three days, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it may be, focus on something else. Whereas opposed to you having to have that in your mind, whether you're doing it or not, like acting on it right then and there, if you don't delegate it and it's still on your plate, that takes up mental mind share, which is going to keep you from spending mental mind share on some of the other important things. That's really where the benefit of delegation comes from is getting it out of your mind and creating time and focus on something much higher uh, strategic or importance for what your skill set is, as opposed to maybe who you're delegating it to. 
This podcast has already started off action-packed. I love it because everybody says you need to delegate, right? You talk to anybody who runs a team, runs a business. It's like, yeah, I know I should delegate. I got to delegate. I got to delegate. But I love how you're laying out. Okay, great. People tell you to delegate, but here's what that means. And here's how you don't fall into the trap of letting that become abdication, which is, hey, I just, I know this needs to get done. I'm throwing it over on this person's plate. And now I don't have to worry about it anymore. I hope, I hope they do a good job with it. Um, so thanks for dropping some yeah. insights on that. I, I, it's a, the reason I know so much about it is because it's still a process that I'm learning as I go through it. And, and it's, a, it's always a process, right? We, we're always learning. 100%. 100%. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about CIA, Capital Investment Advisors, not the Central Intelligence Agency. And so you all have grown at a, at a really nice clip uh, over, over the past little while. And I know you've been opening new offices. So, so quick rundown. How many, how many offices does CIA have now? So we have four. We're opening our fifth by the end of the year. Okay, so four, almost five offices um, around the country, and and you've been growing a lot. And I know, so you get to actually sit in this seat of seeing the high growth RIA um, and the challenges that come with that. That's probably where you're learning a lot of these delegation challenges. Talk to us about, uh, aside from what we've been talking about, like, you know, what are you seeing as the RIA is growing? What challenges are you all facing? Like, you know, where where do you think there's still a lot of opportunity for the firm? Yeah, I mean, on the opportunity side, the opportunity is endless. I think that there's so much opportunity for our story and, and the value that we're providing. And, and our, I think that our culture resonates with employees and our, our strategy and philosophy resonates with clients. And so I think that the opportunity is is endless, which is also a challenge, right, of, of focusing in where we're going to go and take our time and, and spend our dedicated time. You know, I think that when you're a growing RIA, there's this Kind of something that's really been intriguing to me that I'm, I'm starting to do some research on is like what what makes like the greatest RAA based on all the great RAAs. Like if you were to start with a blank slate and how does that trajectory change as you grow, right? Because when you're a hundred million dollar firm, it's different than a billion and a billion is different than five billion and five billion is different than 15 billion. And one of the big things that we're learning right now at our stage is that what we were before we got to here that got us here is not necessarily who we will be or what we will need to get us to where we want to go. And that's really hard. You think about like neurological and psychological and evolutionary and everything like homeostasis. And like when you're a caveman, you didn't want to leave to go to another cave because you don't know what's around the corner. Like change is just, we're just built to know that change is not good. And we don't want to break up our kind of balance that we have in ourselves. And so that's really hard, right, to understand that some of the people or the processes or whatever may be that got us to this level may not be the right ones or things that we need to go to the next level and that we have to change that. But we got so comfortable with what we had and that that becomes really difficult. And then going from like for us, especially because this is ours is a family business, right? You know, dad started 27 years ago. My brother joined, you know, uh, shortly after or not shortly after, but before me and then I joined and. And, you know, I was like number eight or nine, and now we have 80 people. You have to business size your business, like being a family and being able to yell down the hall of what we want to do or how we want to invest. Like you, you can't do that anymore. And, you know, I always say to people right now, now, like I don't have as much say as I did, you know, five years ago, because like there's processes, there's infrastructure, there's businessization. We have non-revenue generating people that are doing really important job and role responsibilities for us that we're empowering to make those decisions. Now, yes, we still drive the strategy, but you know, when you start out in RA, you're driving strategy, you're making the decisions, everything of that nature. As you get bigger, you have to start figuring out how to let go of some of that. 
And it's really hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for everybody. And it's hard for the people that are coming in that don't know the way that it was, that only see it the way that it is. And they don't understand that there's this baggage that you have. And so I think for our growing RIA is the ability to accept that change is kind of the status quo, that you're always going to be changing and and being open-minded to say that, you know, just because you always had revenue generating people, you know, when you need to bring on the first non-revenue generating person, congratulations, you should cheers that. You can't push that back. Like you've made progress. You know, one thing my dad had that not as not all leaders have and founders especially is having the self-awareness and the selflessness of saying, I know when it's time for me to move out of what this role is because it's for the betterment of our clients, it's for the betterment of our people, it's for the betterment of our overall growth of our firm. Too many people say, well, I've never started a business and I started a business, I've grown to 100 people and so now I'm going to go be the CEO of a 100-person executive team, but I don't have any experience with that and I'm just going to learn it because I am the founder. Okay, but you may not be the right person. It may be better for you to go get someone that's done that before, bring them in, empower them, and then find your best seat. And and the best leaders do that. And the best growing firms that have sustainable long-term growth, their leaders do that. Yeah, that's so good. I think a lot about for firms that are growing, the need to be able to get out in front of the business. And I think that's the challenge because so many people who start these businesses that even go on to become the like you're describing, they started this because they wanted to work with clients and serve clients. And, and almost inevitably, when they get to where they have to run a business and that requires more of their time than serving clients, there's this tension of like, you know, I, I want to work with clients. And I think it's interesting because to your last point there, well, maybe you know, maybe you can continue to serve clients if you go hire someone who focuses on being out in front of the business, or you have to make that change and realize that you're not going to be serving clients anymore. Um, but I know it's not our industry. I always think about, and I know people always love to look at the big companies of Amazon and those things. But you know, Jeff Bezos was so famous for uh, a statement in an earnings call where it was like, "This quarter was baked," you know, six eight quarters ago. Right. You know, he, he's like, there's nothing that I can personally do right now to influence next quarter's earnings because it's, you know, it's such a big machine. There's so much going on that you can't just make those changes on the fly. And they're obviously huge. But I think, you know, that that came to mind to me as you were talking about that, because what RIAs need to be able to do is go get in front and say, where are we going? How can I influence what those non-revenue generating people can do to help us have success you know, two, three quarters from now, two, three years from now. And that's a really, really difficult change like you're talking about to be able to grow into that type of seat. And I think a lot of people need to ask, is that the seat they want to be in? Yeah, you know, it, it gets back to this idea of like ownership versus management and separating the two. Just because you're the owner doesn't mean you have to be the manager of that. And getting to that point of clarity is so important. I think that you also make another point. Like my dad, when he founded the firm, he loved to sit with clients and be with clients. That is his, that's his passion. When we got to become a bigger organization, you had all this managerial duties. That wasn't his passion. Was he good at it? Yeah. Was he the best at it? I don't know, but he made it happen. But the thing is, is that he identified that he didn't want to be in that role, that we've gotten too big, that he's super proud of where it's come and super proud of where we've taken it. But that's not his role. Now he's just focused on doing what he does and he loves to do. And you know what? He's our best advisor for getting referrals. He's growing his book faster than he ever has. And he loves what he's doing. 
and he's out of everything else because he identified what it is that he loves. And, you know, you talk about like getting ahead. That is a challenge, right? Because when you're the owner and the manager, you can make these decisions on the fly and then kind of see that's the fun about entrepreneurship. And it's really a challenge. Like entrepreneurs aren't usually great at running big businesses because it's a bigger ship. You're not driving a speedboat anymore, like a kind of one of those fisher boats with just like the engine that you're using as your hand anymore. You got this big yacht that takes time to turn. You got to deal with people. You got to deal with like how you communicate it. And it may not be right. Like I've noticed that, you know, incentives, like things that I love about entrepreneurship that are harder in a, a larger company and vice versa. What I like about large companies that you don't have in an entrepreneur company. And you just have to understand and accept who you are. But that gets back to something I said earlier, even about delegation is that, and I don't know if it's talked about enough in this business because we're always looking for the tactics. We're always looking for the, the keys or the action items. And we're always looking for that next thing to do. But then the, the, the key to all of this is it starts with you and it starts with self-awareness and mindfulness and presence. And there's not enough focus on that within our space because if we all did that a little bit more, we would identify, why am I getting frustrated at this? Why am I so holding so tight to this? Like, what is it? And you can digest, dissect that in yourself and then create the strategy going forward. We're all just looking for the next strategy. But really, it's a matter of like, we got to become better. Like the greatest leaders, I think, and builders of businesses are extremely self-aware and understanding of them more than anything else. And I don't know if our, because we haven't had to do it because of how we started out as our industry, of just kind of growing it based on building clients. And that's where we salespeople at the beginning. That's, I think, where the, the, the juice is in this whole thing to solve a lot of these challenges. I've talked to a couple of people on this podcast before, you know, sitting in the leadership seat that I do at Mile Marker, that I, I feel like one of our biggest hindrances to growth is how much I can grow. Like me looking in the mirror going, am I, you know, being the best leader for the company? Am I evolving as fast as the company is? And all of those sort of things and constantly asking those questions. So you're absolutely right. And especially in the RIA business, people don't like to hear this, but everybody has access to the same investment strategies. Everybody has a CFP now. Everybody has the fee-only story, right? The only thing that truly differentiates your firm from the next firm is you know whether or not you have a niche. So maybe if you're better at serving doctors than the person down the road, that's a good thing. But it's the person who's actually executing the work and sitting in the seat. You, the advisor, are the differentiator of your business, um, which I think is is uh, to your point, you know, some a place where they should be putting a lot of effort and work. It, I mean, that is that is the moat. I say that all the time. That is the moat. No technology, no advancements in VR or AI or any of that such will ever replace what is the moat in our space. And that is our individual person. That's why there can be so many advisors all doing the same thing and all having successful businesses. Because people relate and, and create connection with different types of people. And so authenticity is so big. But if you don't know who you really are deep down, then it's hard to be authentic. And, and if you're selling on something other than yourself, then I think that that's going to be harder to, to keep momentum when challenges come and you sell on who you are and and some people are going to like it some people aren't and i am a huge believer that you know advisors need to be vulnerable advisors need to be authentic and advisors need to focus on on them first and then their skills that's going to all lead to creating great referring growing relationships with clients is that kind of where the the idea for the book the the dr cole cash book came from because i i've read those and i love them because they're these these cool like Patrick Lencioni style narrative, you know, story uh, ideas, but all around 
showing advisors where they create the most value for their clients and their firms. And it's not in you know anything outside of being really, really self-aware of, of who that advisor is and where they provide value, right? Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, that that is the basis of it. I think that it's a matter of my mission in 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 life or in professional life is that I believe that every single person in this country should have a human financial advisor. I think that the value of a human financial advisor is so immense and it's so great. And that sometimes that we just need to get out of our own way. And so I want to help our our community and our our industry understand what their true value is. And what others see as your true value, as opposed to what the industry has perceived to be the value for so long. And however I can communicate that in a fun, engaging, differentiated way is I want to inspire the world to understand that we are valuable and that we can serve more people. So I want to do that through helping them see who they are as a person, what their value is. I want to give them and help them understand how to create efficiencies via technology, innovation, et cetera, via you know, all the advancements so that they can serve more people. Because ultimately, if we focus on us, then we can then serve more. There is so much potential. And then over time, the world will see the value we provide, which is more than just investment management, because it is so much more. And so that's part of what the book is. That's part of what we do with our email, The Circle, where we focus on frameworks and mentalities and, and, and thoughts for bettering yourself, bettering your business and bettering your client experience, right? But it starts with self-awareness and frameworks to help us be better. It's a little bit too touchy-feely for some people and some people don't like it. And it's, and it's a little bit too you know, therapeutic or therapist type mentality uh, for them. But that is the core of it. That is the, the unquestionable thing that nobody can replicate is you yourself. Well said. So I know we've been focusing a lot on on the human advantage of advice and bettering yourself, making yourself more self-aware, learning to delegate all of that. But I also happen to know that you are very passionate about innovation in our industry. Uh, you stay on top of a lot of the technology things that are going on. You want to try and figure out how to how to help technology be more efficient, probably for that mission that you just described, because if we can use technology to make us more efficient, advisors can work with more clients and that moves us closer to every person, uh, every eligible person being able to get access to a financial advisor. So talk to us a little bit about where you see innovation happening in the space and what kind of has you excited about that. Yeah, and you can see like all of this stuff is like passionate to me, right? When I get passionate, I start to kind of, and, and it's one of my kind of focuses is I, I start talking loudly and everybody thinks it's like I'm yelling, but uh, it, it's just a passion of mine because I think that there's there's so much room for voices and unique voices. And, I, and I'm fortunate to have a really unique perspective that that I, I want others to hopefully gain from. And so, you know, on the innovation side, this is something that's passionate from, I, I think that it kind of also stems from my story, right? I, I think that, you know, my story is, is you know, I, I've referred to it before. My dad started our firm 27 years ago. My brother started the firm and then I, I joined and they both did before I got there a lot for this business. And, you know, coming in as the third wheel, you have to figure out what your value is and what your worth is. And I dealt with a ton of imposter syndrome, which probably shows why I focused on self a lot. And, Really, you know, what what was kind of the impetus was starting a technology company. That innovative mindset, the the processes, the the different ways of thinking that were different than what I knew from just being in the wealth management business, the entrepreneurial spirit, the product management, like all of that innovation was like that was like the fire. That that was the light bulb for me that kind of showed me the way. And we raised money and we we made an impact. But then the ultimate kind of 
lesson or, or benefit to me was that it, they failed because I was able to see and learn all this st- stuff. And I saw the world from a different light that's got me excited because I see what other industries are doing. I see what's happening in technology, what's capable in technology, not only with AI, but with with the open architectures that we're having, the APIs, the focus on integrating, the ability of focus on on taking things off and the menial mundane off of people's plates of bringing things together. Like I saw all that and I saw what people are doing and what they're investing in and what what the world hasn't yet seen that they're still talking about and working on. And that kind of has been the highlight for helping me identify where I sit. And an innovation in, in my mindset is, it's not just technology. It's a mindset. It's a it's mindset, process, and technology. I think that too many people put innovation and technology, right? We have a parrot on our accountability chart called transformation, and, and that's a division. And the division has both technology and innovation. It's not the, the technology division that has innovation underneath it. And I think that that's really important because innovation is a mindset. It's about innovating on processes and innovating on mindsets and, and using technology. Too many people bring them together that says, hey, I got this new technology. I upgraded from you know XYZ CRM to ABC CRM and I'm innovative, right? I'm using this newer technology or I'm, I'm using Slack, so I'm innovative. But it's not technology. It's, it's a mindset of, and an approach to how you view your business and how you integrate things from outside of our business and our industry into our business and our industry. I, I think that Matt Ridley... He makes the best quote. Sometimes people think it's provocative. I, I don't think it is, but he did. A, he did a whole TEDx talk on or TED talk on it, and he says that innovation happens when multiple ideas come together and have sex. And I think that that is the best kind of analogy or quote on innovation because innovation is not one person. It's not a committee. It is a mindset of your team to all be looking at the world that they live in every day and being extremely present. In identifying different things based on their backgrounds and their their current lifestyles and bringing that to the table to help us bring different perspectives and ways of thinking and doing to the table and saying, how can we then use this in our business to better our people, to better our clients, and to better our firm? And, and, and that is what I think about as innovation. People tend to think about it as like, just go and have one person doing it, but it's multiple people. You know, all the species of the world that are that 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 were you know asexual and that never reproduced. And they just for that they they died off. The ones that reproduce, they're the ones that live. And reproduction takes multiple people, and that's the way that innovation has to be thought about as well in, in our world. And so I, I think you know what excites me actually about you know it's more you know selfish is our firm has invested in innovation, and and we're focused on doing innovation labs internally with our teams because we're focused on helping our team understand. The power of brainstorming. What is generative AI? What is all these different things? What is the healthcare industry doing? What is this e-commerce industry doing? And how can we then use some of that stuff inside of our industry to better serve our clients and then and then go identify potentially technology that can help us with that or build it ourselves from that standpoint? And so, you know, I think that that's super exciting that, that we have that foresight. And I think that other firms, I've talked to other firms that are doing that as well, which is really exciting uh, because I think that what that means is it brings more value, more services, and more impact to the clients and to the lives of the team members that work at these firms, because then they can focus on doing things that they they love to do. And yeah, we can talk about AI, which I think is super exciting. I think that's a ton of value there. But I think that just this approach and this mindset and having that in our industry, having people talk about that in our industry, that to me is like super exciting that we're not talking about asset allocation 
and ETS versus mutual funds and like all that type of stuff. We're talking about how to innovate, how to be truly creative and impact and, and we're expanding beyond, you know, uh, alpha and beta. That's so true because I think that conversation was starting to get a little tired of just everybody was talking about the same thing for a long time. Well, I mean, and I think truly what they were seeking was differentiation. But as you're saying, and as we've been discussing, the differentiation is the person. So how do we find innovation and innovative tactics to help the person? Because I also, I mean, and I've said this for a long time, uh, you know, people disagree with me, but I just don't think investors care that much about outperforming the market or outperforming other people. I think they care about adequate enough performance to achieve their financial goals and dreams. Uh, Because when they come to work with a financial advisor, they're bringing their hopes, they're bringing their dreams, they're bringing their fears. They're not bringing a math problem to you, right? And so I think what you're talking about is, hey, how can AI, how can innovation, how can all these things help us work with our clients to help them, you know, achieve their dreams, minimize their fears and, and live better lives because they know that the, the money is going to be there for them. Well, and, you know, and our friend, you know, mutual friend, Daniel Crosby, he talks about this all the time from a behavioral psychology standpoint, right? Like what advisors think is valuable, what clients think are valuable. And it's like completely different, right? Like yeah. the lists are, are drastically different. The advisors are focused on the performance and the, the security selection and the persons are focused on the connection, the relationship and like the, the emotional, you know, side of things. And, you know, there's a framework that I look at uh, in terms of like understanding what our value is. And it's really like it's like it's kind of it's a it's a grid. Right. And, and and you got one on the X axis of low value to high value. And then, you know, the Y axis is most in control and less in control. Right. And security selection and market performance is in that bottom left quadrant. Low value, low control, because the, the value doesn't come from security selection. It actually comes from asset allocation, which is so boring. It's like you really just need to select what is your asset allocation between you know growth and income. Like that's like going to be your biggest impact of your portfolio, and like and what you do underneath it is is becomes lesser and lesser of value. But we put we hinge like well, look at this stock going up twenty percent. Like nobody cares about that, and your client will focus on that because that's how you drive the conversation. That if you drive the conversation towards that, then they're going to focus on that, and then they're going to highlight the things that you can't really control on that side. But then you think about like the top white right quadrant, which is high value high in control. That is the behavioral stuff, the emotional side. That's something that us as individuals can control. Our clients can control. We can control that aspect of it, right? We can control that conversation. We can control accountability. We can control behaviors and behavioral coaching. And everybody knows about, you know, the Vanguard study and, and, you know, behavioral coaching being half, one and a half percent of the 3%. Everybody knows that. But you then look at all these other indexes and research and it shows that people just, you know, for instance, people aren't holding long enough. They're, they're, they're not holding the average holding periods less than five years. But we've shown that if you hold the S&P 500 for more than five years, going back to 1926, you, you outperform like 97% of the time. Like it's there, but we're not doing that. So behavioral coaching, right? And that's high value. That's in that upper quadrant, right? Estate plan, insurance planning is, is high value or high in control and like mid value, right? But the value of helping people get to that point is the highest value in most in control. And that's what we should be focusing. I bet you if you were to lay out all these items that I have on this framework grid, and you were to ask your client to highlight the top three to them, let them just choose before putting on the grid and then go over to the grid, you'll see that they're going to be in the top right quadrant. You're going to be in the bottom left quadrant. And we've got to find ourselves. It's working on things that advisors didn't get in the business for. We talked about it at the beginning. You have to change. We have to change and adapt the industry. It, you know, when my dad first started the business, 
investment management was probably a little bit more higher value because the accessibility was less at that point, right? It was more of I needed to go to a broker or to an advisor to do that. Now it's become so open and, and so accessible that value has come down, but we still hinge our value on what it was 25 years ago. We have to change. If we're asking our people to change as our firms change, we as leaders have to change as well uh, and evolve based on the times. Jam-packed, man. Uh, there's a lot of insight in that, and I appreciate you sharing it. Um, so I'm going to make you a guinea pig for a new segment that I am uh, introducing to the podcast, but uh, I know you can handle it. So this is called the Mile Marker Minute. Uh, it probably is going to feel a lot like lightning round questions that people do in other podcasts, but I'm calling it the Mile Marker Minute. Um, so I've got three questions for you that I'd love to, you know, to get answers completed within less than a minute. You game? All right. Do I have to answer all three questions in a minute or each question's answer needs to be in a minute? We're going to try and get all three questions answered in one minute. So like 20 Got second it. responses, if we can knock it out. Got it. They should be easy though. All right. First question. What is your number one tip for a firm that wants to grow organically next year? Talk to your clients more often. Referrals will, will happen. Love it. What is the most important piece in the technology stack for an RIA? If they could only have one piece of technology, which one would you choose? CRM. CRM is the most important. Okay. And then the last one, what do you think it takes to have good integration with your technology for a firm? Working closely with your providers and your consultants at your custodian. I think that being very integrated with them in terms of communication is key to helping you understand how to best integrate your technology. Awesome. I think you are a, a perfect first guinea pig for our Mile Marker Minute segment. Those are three great answers. And we completed it in less than a minute. So way to go, Matt. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Uh, your advice, I think, is going to help a lot of people. I appreciate you having me, Kyle. And thanks for all you're doing, man, for the industry and for pushing forward Mile Marker. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. Anything you want to shout out before we wrap up today? Yeah, if you found this conversation insightful, I mean, go over to mattreiner.com, sign up for the email newsletter, The Circle. We send it out once a week. And then we also send out our episodes to podcasts where we have cool guests like Kyle and, and others uh, helping to bring in others from the industry. So go sign up for The Circle email. It's, uh, it's jam-packed with frameworks and content. And then be sure to listen to Bridging the Gap. Awesome. Way to go, man. All right, everybody. This has been another episode of Connected. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Connected. This podcast is brought to you by MileMarker and it is produced by Turncast. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps us and our show. And for more information about MileMarker and Connected, visit us at milemarker.co.